I'm Pat McKay, and this is Funding the Future of Healthcare, a podcast that dives into healthcare technology and the process that allows it to scale and thrive so it can bring quality care to more people more efficiently. Here we are, well into year two of the COVID-19 pandemic. Vaccines are available to most everyone, but due to variants and other issues, concerns continue to linger. Some companies out there are using technology to do good during this turbulent time. We're here once again to talk to a couple of those companies. Please welcome our guests, Nick Culbertson from Pro Tennis and Jeff Stolte from Providence Ventures. Thank you both for joining me. Great to be here. Thank you. Nick Culbertson, you are the CEO of Pro Tennis, the leading healthcare compliance analytics platform featured on CBS This Morning, Engadget, CBS Evening News, and Fox News. You are also an eight-year U.S. Army veteran and completed your service as a highly decorated Green Beret. You were named one of healthcare's entrepreneurs to know by Becker's Hospital Review and received Smart CEO's Executive Management Award. You were also named one of Baltimore's top 40, under 40, and in 2020 and 2019, a finalist in Ernst & Young's Entrepreneur of the Year Award for the Mid-Atlantic Region. Uh, Very impressive bio, Nick, and and very glad to have you on the program. Thanks. I'm thrilled to be here. So, Nick, just tell us a little bit about Pro Tennis and how you came to co-found the company. Yeah, of course. Uh, Well, Pro Tennis is bringing AI and automation to healthcare compliance, We started the company about six years ago, my co-founder and I, when we were both med students at the Johns Hopkins University. We both wanted to be academic researchers uh, in the healthcare space and and wanted to combine our backgrounds to work on a research project together. My co-founder used to work at a a hedge fund um, in the financial industry. And I used to, uh, as as you alluded to, I was in the military and I, I specialized in human intelligence. So we both used analytical tools, although in very different environments. And when we both got into healthcare through med school, we realized there wasn't really an analogous uh, approach to what we had seen in our previous jobs. So we came up with a rudimentary AI, AI model that analyzed hospital system workflows. And as a result, we're able to identify some questionable behaviors that workforce members were conducting in medical records. And so as a result, um, started a company working with hospital system compliance offices to proactively predict and prevent incidences that are putting patients or health systems at risk. Uh, great. Yeah. So this is, this is how I have it in, in my head. So while some kids... We're playing doctor uh, when they were young and others were playing detective. Nick, I, I kind of feel like you were trying to play both. <laughs> um, so you mentioned AI, you mentioned compliance. Now, how is it that you decided to, to actually focus on that area of compliance and, 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 and patient privacy? What, what, what got you there? Yeah, it wasn't at all intentional. Uh, I didn't wake up one day with a light bulb moment that was like, oh my gosh, we should um, you know, create this software to identify compliance issues because it's a big problem. Uh, I actually didn't realize how bad of a problem it was because we often don't talk about a lot of the administrative backside of hospital systems and the amount of hard work that hospital administrators have to do. What I do like doing is solving problems. And I think anytime I get into a situation where I'm presented with a problem, I, I tend to uh, really get uh, dug in and, and 
really focused on it and to the point where I'm, um, you know, completely enamored in it and, and can't focus on anything else until it's, it's solved or at least some semblance of a solution comes together. And that was exactly what happened here. My co-founder and I were dabbling in um, workflow analysis. And when we spoke to administrators and learned how our approach could really give value to the system and, and how elusive detecting some of these compliance and incidences were, like HIPAA violations, for example, that's when we realized, wow, there could be real value to our solution and there's a real market opportunity here. Yeah, I think that immersion into what and what, you know, into what you're doing is is, is and, and just sort of like just grabbing it and staying on it is is what it takes to be as successful as you've been. So I, I read that if if 2020 was a year for remote healthcare, uh, Nick, 2021 may be the year remote healthcare's privacy and cybersecurity needs find the spotlight. The threat to patient privacy has shifted a bit with the pandemic. Insider threats have jumped 36% in 2020, while reported hacking incidents increased by 42%. Do, do you think 2021 is kind of a year of, of, of patient privacy? Well, well, look, I, I think every year is the year for patient privacy. And, and the reason I think that is, is over the past five years, my team of, of researchers has, has put together a, a picture of the compliance landscape as it pertains to uh, data breaches and privacy breaches in healthcare. And what we've seen is year after year, uh, the risk is going up. Uh, originally, we saw the risk increasing with the increasing use of electronic medical records where uh, hospital systems were becoming more vulnerable to both insider and outsider threats. Uh, because of new systems being implemented without the uh, best of security protocols. However, in, in 2020, we saw the number really skyrocket for a number of reasons. Uh, I think it should go without saying that the pandemic created a lot of uh, a lot of chaos for health systems uh, with all the change in, in workflows and environments and poked a lot of holes in, in a lot of systems that, that we have been leaning on for a number of years. So for example, when you have a bunch of employees stepping away from uh, employment, either through furloughs or layoffs, making sure that they're correctly offboarded from the system to changing workflows to where they might be working at a different part of the hospital system. In all this chaos, we saw hackers taking advantage of this, both through direct attack, but also through indirect attack. And, and in fact, we heard of one customer describe to us employees that were being bribed with as little as, as uh, $30,000 to hand over their credentials so that the hackers could just use their username and password and be able to access medical records that way. On top of that, we've seen increasing um, attempts with the election cycle. Uh, there's always an increase during election cycles where we see a spike in activity. And then a lot of uh, pursuits for intellectual property at, at academic medical centers that were working on the vaccine or COVID variants. So all of these things kind of came together in a trifecta of risk for hospital systems that really just increased the, the threats uh, surface area overall. And I think as, as Hopefully, if things start to normalize, we'll be able to reapportion resources to address these. But I think um, you know the we're we're just going to see a continuing um, at risk. And the reason that healthcare data is so sensitive from a privacy and security standpoint is while you can um, you know lose your uh, social security number or driver's license uh, through uh, identity theft, those can easily be replaced or relatively easily replaced. 
Healthcare data, however, can't be replaced. It's immutable. And so someone who steals your medical record today can steal your identity years or decades down the line. And it's why medical records, because they have such comprehensive information, including financial and health information, uh, are so valuable on the black market. And it's it's uh, why we're going to see an increasing trend of privacy incidences in the healthcare industry. Yeah, so basically, as patients, uh, um, we should be very happy about uh, what ProTennis has been doing and, and how you've been evolving data and AI to kind of detect these kinds of privacy issues. And um, So thank you. Thank you for that. We'll talk uh, more about all that. I want to get Jeff Stolte involved in the conversation. Jeff, you've been on the podcast before. You're an experienced investment executive with 20 plus years in the healthcare medical technology industry. As a senior partner with Providence Ventures, you helped build and currently manage a $300 million VC fund, which invests on behalf of Providence St. Joseph Health, a $25 billion healthcare system, which happens to be one of the largest healthcare systems in the U.S. You currently count 18 different innovative technologies in Providence Ventures' full portfolio, not counting the five companies that you've exited. In addition to working with large healthcare systems such as Providence, you also have expertise on the operational side of entrepreneurship, which comes in handy, uh, having served in product management and business development roles with VC-backed healthcare technology startups, including WebMD and WellMed. So um, again, thank you, Jeff, for, for making yourself available today. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here, Pat. Tell us how you and Providence got involved with ProTennis and Nick Culbertson. Sure. Um, well, PV was following the emergence of artificial intelligence in the healthcare technology market with great interest and for some time. Uh, there were a couple of years there, and I, I want to say, Nick, you and your company probably came out for your first fundraising during this period where it felt like Nearly every pitch we heard, the company, you know, somehow wove in the phrase artificial intelligence into their pitch deck. Um, and that was in the not too distant past where it seemed that every company, you know, was trying to address this growing trend, um, even when the company in question wasn't really leveraging AI in their solution. And what we've been particularly attracted to are solutions that use machine learning and, and AI to help augment traditionally people intensive processes with a goal of improving Providence's operational efficiency. So when ProTennis hit the scene several years back, they seemed to be for real. And we dug into the technology and they were achieving promising real world results. And I think the way our, Nick articulated how he constructed his technology team, as well as some of the early healthcare partners they used to build their solution, really drove fantastic results. We enjoyed our early meetings with the management team, so we began to keep tabs on them. And when it came time for ProTennis' Series C fundraising process, it turned out that Providence's compliance leadership team had independently come to the same conclusions we were coming to regarding the company's promise, as they were already engaging with ProTennis in a promising pilot. The positive feedback and engagement with our operating colleagues is kind of a hallmark of how our team sources and evaluates investments. And so that was a great sign. And it really opened the door for PV to make an investment in the company. Yeah, great. So, um, so Jeff, patient privacy seems like something we should all be able to take for granted, that, that our privacy concerns in healthcare are just somehow going to be magically taken care of. But, uh, but obviously, there is a, a ton of risk out there. And, and as Nick you know, he already talked a little bit about some of those issues. Um, was patient privacy already a focus for you and Providence Ventures when you met ProTennis? 
Absolutely. I, I think, you know, patient data privacy has exponentially grown in its complexity. And Nick, I, I won't rehash several of the ways that Nick articulated that that's accelerated even in the last 12 months, really started with the ubiquitous deployment of electronic medical records or EMRs over the past seven to 10 years. So we at Providence Ventures viewed this as an area where AI-enabled monitoring could improve our organization's ability to safeguard patient record access. And protecting the privacy of this data is of paramount importance to Providence. I believe we've historically done a great job at it, but ProTennis is helping to ensure that we maintain and even enhance these capabilities in a scalable manner. And the, the word scalability is, is one that I'm, I'm choosing with a lot of purpose in this discussion, just due to the daily volume of EMR accesses, privacy and security teams and organizations like Providence are charged with reviewing and investigating potential unauthorized access at scale, but they had traditionally only been able to investigate a fraction of potential violations using standard, you know, sort of legacy tool sets. Or in many cases, these teams had historically relied on audit tools, which discover breaches after the fact. So the predictive nature of what ProTennis is bringing to the market was of great interest. And over time, the legacy manual or latent processes were turning out to be insufficient to monitor a large population of EMR end users, which is for an organization of 120,000 employees or caregivers, as we call them at Providence, you know, the vast majority of whom are, are clinical in nature and who are having to access EMRs every day to deliver effective care. AI tools help us enhance our monitoring while avoiding the overhead related to hiring an army of compliance screeners or using outsourced services like consultants. So ultimately, a solution like ProTennis helps Providence future-proof this important compliance capability. And Jeff, if I could just add on to that, we hear a lot about AI in the healthcare space and how important it is for things like population health and precision medicine, which I absolutely agree with, but health systems and physiology are pretty complicated and we're still a ways off before we see AI really have a, a substantial impact there. Um, but that's not true for compliance. When compliance, we have really structured data, well-structured data, and very clear policies. And it's the perfect application, just as you were describing, Jeff, in that you can use um, uh, an AI to do very objective work at very large scales and, and really make a, a human subject matter expert workforce much more efficient and effective in preserving that culture of compliance. Well, I, I totally agree, Nick. And if you you layer in the complexity around the ubiquity of digital information in healthcare today, the, the heavy access to EMRs as a way to grab access to patient data, and then you further complicate that with the challenging economics that the pandemic has thrust upon health systems like Providence and most across the country, it's not a time when we have vast resources to pour into more people, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it. And so again, I think anything that can help us automate and leverage, you know, the valued caregivers who do that work today so that they're able to do it better and more efficiently. It's it's a it's critical value add to our organization. Is it true that by, by focusing on compliance that you're you're kind of you're using AI, you're using machine learning to help people kind of do the right thing instead of just chasing after, um, you know, bad players? It's not only a uh, preventative measure where if you identify early warning signs, uh, that that individuals could be going down a path, um, you know that's that's a great impact to the organization that it's preventing risk. But 
Um, just to, to reinforce some of the, the dialogue that Jeff was pushing, every year hospitals spend uh, in the U.S. $39 billion uh, to perform manual compliance tasks. And most of that effort comes from manual compliance task labor. So these are highly specialized individuals that are having to perform these audits or, or run through tedious audit logs to identify the questionable behavior. And so it's it's a double impact in the it's uh, created a more efficient workflow, but then it's also preventing the risk associated through those preventative measures and and uh, ultimately uh, saving the organization twice over. Yeah, that's great. No, it's good to hear. It's it's you know it's what algorithms were designed to do. You know they 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 work at the speed of light essentially, and they have perfect memory. And it's the way they can kind of you know make that kind of impact in vast amounts of data. Is it just seems like it's 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 the right way to go. I'm going to take a bit of a turn here. Nick Pro Tennis earned designation as a great place to work certified company in 2021. How important is company culture to Pro Tennis? It's very important. In fact, I would say the reason we've made it this far as a company is because of the people we've been able to recruit and retain um, on our team. Uh, I'm a big fan of, of empowered execution, and I think people are uh, best at work when they're doing something that they're really passionate about and able to do that in a um uh, a, a, an environment that's not constrained. And so we've done as much as we can to create an employee culture that focuses on results and allows individuals to be empowered to work towards those results in the way that's most effective towards them. So it's a combination of, of very unrestrained working environments, benefits like uh, unlimited PTO, but then it also means that we have to put an incredible amount of transparency and, and effort into making sure that everyone in the company understands what our goals are, what our challenges are, where we want to go, so that when they are, are executing against those results, they know that they're individually contributing towards pushing the company in the in the right direction. That's uh, great to hear. It, it sounds like culture is far more important than resume bullets. Like the idea is to set up potential and and uh, have people really feel, as you say, empowered to to do good things on behalf of the company. Um, Jeff, how about on on your side? How how important is company culture to you and Providence Ventures when you are looking into a potential investment? Where does that land on the uh, uh, priorities checklist, so to speak? Well, I'll tell you, Pat, uh, it seems that it's landing higher on my checklist, at least the older that I get. And I, I've got a big birthday coming up, so I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely feeling every bit of my age here. But no, it, in in, um, in all seriousness for the audience, uh, you guys do a wonderful job of putting together kind of a schedule of questions that you know we, we contemplate for these sessions. And I did not plant a, a question on culture with respect to pro tennis. I will say also with sincerity, if I could imprint the pro tennis culture on all of our companies, I would. Um, it, it's it's really been remarkable to watch. And it obviously starts with the senior management team and the CEO in particular. <clears throat> the question we ask when we're first engaging is, you know, is this someone we can truly partner with? And Nick personally has all the attributes that we look for, but he's also built a great senior team around him 
And he's humble enough to let them complement his strengths, which is another attribute that we love to see. Because, you know, Nick and all of our CEOs are incredibly intelligent, talented, successful people. Nobody has every single skill set and every perspective. I think diversity, you know, makes companies much, much better. Um, and Nick has done a wonderful job. He lets his team run and he gives these leaders frequent visibility to the board. So he avoids an autocratic leadership approach that can create a single point of failure for companies and quite frankly, you know, hold them back from the success they may have otherwise been able to achieve. So quite frankly, you know, just as important is the question of how the senior team manages down to their teams or manages their teams rather versus how they manage up to the board. Because I've been in situations where I felt like the management team was really cohesive and had a great culture, but it was the top three executives in a board meeting you know, basically kissing the ass of the board. <laughs> and then I come to find out later that the company culture was toxic, right? And and so you can see that situation too. But again, the exposure that Nick provides to us, including um, something that not all of my companies do, but I wish they did is he often will set up proactively one-on-one or one-on-two meetings between his key executives and board members in advance of our our quarterly board meetings, where we have a candid conversation with them, you know, all due respect to Nick outside of his earshot (laughs) so that they can actually tell us and we try to make them comfortable to be candid and and be honest in their appraisal appraisal of what's going on. And I think that's worked really well. Um, So it's a key reason our team likes to spend at least some time on site with a company during due diligence, meeting with a good cross-section of the team, at multiple levels. And when you're walking the company's floor, observing a random day's interactions, even passively, the general culture of a business is often palpable. Um, And in addition to having a wonderful coffee station, as they do in the pro tennis office in Baltimore, they felt like a really coherent team. And maybe it is the coffee station. I don't know. I think it's a lot more than that. But they're, they're bound by a really shared, important mission. And everybody talks from the from the same playbook in terms of how they're going after that mission. So it's it's wonderful. Though the other thing I wanted to point out is Nick and the team have shown incredible leadership around diversity, inclusion, and, and the equity issues that have rightly rightly garnered more intense focus in this country, especially in the last you know, 12 months. And all of these observations just validated for us the many accolades that the company has received for being a great employer, both nationally and in the city of Baltimore. Yeah, it makes sense. And, and and again, it's great to hear that culture is uh, so important, that that happy, engaged folks in your company, that, that people are essentially important. So coming off that culture question, Nick, um, I'd, I'd love to hear about how you, you two, you and Jeff um, work together and how Pro Tennis and Providence Ventures sort of work together. How, how do your cultures mix? Yeah, it's a, it's a really important question, Pat, because uh, I think a lot of early stage entrepreneurs don't realize how deeply embedded investors become with with a company. In, in many ways, when you take money from an investor, you're you're establishing a relationship that is more tightly bound than a marriage. Uh, you know, you can get divorces, but you can't break up with investors, and and so it's so important that. You identify investors that have the same vision, that have the same expectations and mindset, and are willing to kind of keep that open dialogue uh, with the, the the management team to ensure that everyone's going in the right directions and and and, and has that shared consciousness on on what the objectives are. 
Uh, and so, uh, you know, as soon as I met Jeff, that was pretty clear um, that he and his team had that mindset, uh, a, a culture throughout the, their investment team that was very similar to ours and, and valued transparency and valued uh, integrity was important to me. And, and so since bringing Jeff onto the team, uh, he's been on the board for over two years now. We've collaborated in a number of ways, not just on our commercial partnership with Providence St. Joe's and um, the entire enterprise, but on other health systems that, that Jeff has had experience working with uh, throughout his career. And so not only is, is a, he been a great investor just from capitalizing the, our business, but also working side by side with us on customer strategies and, and um, just overall growth. Nick, is there also value in, in simply having a strategic VC with such a large scale health system at your disposal? Uh, absolutely. Um, when I meet uh, healthcare IT entrepreneurs, I always encourage them to talk to investors, exclu- exclusively talk to investors that know the healthcare space. Uh, it's a very complicated, um, nuanced industry. Someone told me very early on that to start a company in, in healthcare is like playing entrepreneur in expert mode. And I didn't appreciate it at the time, but looking back, I can appreciate how uh, you know, the the sales cycles and the, the compliance requirements and security requirements and enterprise sales processes, you know, who is using your product doesn't approve it and who approves it is not the one who has the budget for it and who has the budget is not the one who understands it. And so these are very tricky um, processes and you really need partners and investors who understands that are sympathetic to the challenges that come with selling to large hospital systems and are willing to, to work with you to be find creative um, strategies. So I think it's very critical to have investors that understand the healthcare space and no one understands the healthcare space better than um, health systems themselves. So I, I particularly enjoy working with with Jeff, not only because it's a great commercial relationship, but because they really understand the industry and can add that value to our team. Jeff, what's it like working with Nick and his team at Pro Tennis? I mean, I've commented on a little bit. It's been it's been fantastic, and I was actually going to flip around Nick's last comment and say it's it's ideal to have management teams building technology for healthcare who have had exposure to the healthcare industry, which Nick and and a good cross-section of his team had. Um, I've had more than one introductory call with a company that's led by a fantastically brilliant, you know, computer scientist from outside of healthcare. And quite frankly, ask them, like, why do you want to go into healthcare? Because <laughs> it's it's really, really hard. Um, and and oftentimes the right answer is you know, those folks have done well at some of the big tech names, and now they're looking to pivot their expertise into an industry that really needs it. And that's an acceptable answer. But that that Nick's comment goes both ways. Um, it's been really great. Uh, as we've talked about on the podcast before, related to all the companies we've invested in over the past seven years, some have been working with Providence for a while before we wrote a check. Others, like Protenis, were early in their engagement. And for companies that are newer to Providence, it really gives our team an opportunity to help Nick, or at least try to help Nick and his team more effectively navigate to Providence's key decision makers. Because I think Nick alluded to this a little bit, but really the premise for Providence Ventures and, and some of the other funds that, that operate similar to ours is you know this longstanding research around the time it takes from even really good innovations to actually spread throughout the healthcare industry, let alone throughout a complex organization. 
like Providence. And so we obviously love to help our portfolio companies grow their deployment within Prov um, because the companies we invest in have been selected by our operating partners as a result of a really strong value proposition, right? And we've talked about what that value proposition is in Protenis's case, but helping the company expand its reach in turn expands that value proposition. And Nick, you can remind me, but I think in this case, you had launched in two of our regions, two of our seven regions, um, in sort of pilots that turned into full-fledged deployments. And then the question was, based on the great results you guys have achieved, how do we get that expanded out into the rest of Providence to take the value proposition across the enterprise? And, and again, we're, we're driven by making great financial investments in the companies we invest in. But the strategic side of what we do is really to help companies exactly like ProTennis that have landed regionally but have an opportunity to deliver great value across the entire enterprise of Providence St. Joseph Health. So um, in Nick's case, you know, we had some really collaborative discussions around how to think about doing that. Ultimately, when it comes to commercial decisions to expand, those are not in my hands. Those are in the hands of, in this case, our chief compliance officer and his team. And so mostly it was easy work because Nick shows very well and understands his business and our chief compliance officer happens to be an extremely innovative entrepreneurial gentleman himself. And so I put the two together and, and they worked it out and now we're deploying enterprise wide. So um, it's been a lot of fun and, uh, and hopefully we'll continue to bear similar fruit. That's great to hear. And thanks, Jeff. Um, and Nick, as, as Jeff already knows, I ask a version of this next question every podcast, but I, I want to modify it a bit given your military background. Would you like to see more people in the armed forces get involved in or, or found innovative technology startups? And do you see their path as different from most? Well, I think veterans have a lot to offer uh, society in general. I, I did see a stat that um, entrepreneur, veteran entrepreneurs are, are uh, five times more likely to be successful than um, the average entrepreneur. And I think that's just because the experiences you get in the armed forces um, like many other experiences, you, you face uh, um, uh, extreme challenges and uh, work under austere environments, and that prepares you for a lot of the same things that you experience in in, in healthcare. So, I, I I would love to see more entrepreneur entrepreneurs come out of the military branches. I have a number of friends that have mentored me along the way, and and that um, that I try to provide resources to as, as they start their businesses as well. So I think it's a really great uh, opportunity and and certainly anyone thinking about joining the armed forces, I would encourage not just because uh, it's a great experience, but it'll help you regardless of whatever you want to do long-term. And I think it'll be supportive or additive to your overall career. Yeah, that's really good to hear. I mean, it just sounds like it's it's it behooves everybody. It's in all our interests for 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 more people with that kind of background in the military, that kind of experience to get involved in in innovation, um, however they do it. So, Jeff, quick question for you here: Do you think new innovators, you know, from from all walks, not not necessarily just in in health tech, do you think new innovators could learn something about starting a company from Nick and his team at Pro Tennis? Yeah, of course. I mean, and, and Nick's reputation is growing as he gets named to more of these top 40 lists and, and other aspects. But so I'm, I'm sure they're seeking him out as we speak. But from my perspective, I think first and foremost, uh, and Nick's done a great job of articulating this throughout the podcast, he clearly is a, a passionate entrepreneur. I, I mean, in, in terms of defining 
the opportunity before the company as they founded it and pursuing that with a lot of passion. I think that's incredibly important because as Nick will attest, and we've been this, in this together, as he mentioned, for a couple of years, you're going to go through twists and turns. You're going to go through stops and starts. When you're selling into health systems, you're going to be wringing your hands a lot about when that contract's going to get signed. And, and it takes a certain grit and passion, I think, just day to day, both in the fabric and mission of the company, but also just to to navigate the industry. Nick brings that in spades and, and does a wonderful job of that. The second thing is surrounding yourself with complementary talent. I spoke to this earlier, but again, you know, I think being self-aware to understand where your blind spots could be and filling in those gaps with complementary professionals who may have um, much deeper experience, whether it's, and, and Nick is a, you know, He's a five-tool player for sure, but I would say, you know, having a really talented CFO, having a wonderful leader around HR, having a wonderful marketing person, um, you know, as well as obviously some of the technology leads that he's accumulated, it's a it's a diverse and, and very talented team, and I think that's critical. The other thing I wanted to just kind of replay that Nick mentioned earlier is this is a team that makes decisions based on data, not emotion or reactionary or or sort of frothy elements of which there are myriad in the healthcare, both investment landscape as a result of the entrepreneurial landscape these days. So I think um, understanding how to find those key metrics that you're going to drive to as an organization and leveraging your progress against those to understand how you're doing. Um, the final thing, or, or at least one other thing I'll mention is um, really striving for that team diversity. And and this is a topic that, that again, I PV has been heavily focused on, as well as, you know, our parent organization, Providence St. Joseph Health, um, we're, we're looking inward. And, and I work in a white male-dominated industry. Quite frankly, it's embarrassing when I look at a lot of the boardrooms and a lot of the, the conferences that I go to. Um, and so, again, I think I think Nick has built a company and, and ProTennis is a vanguard of sort of how to how to make diversity work for you and actually improve your company. And there's a lot of great data about how having a diverse executive team and, and team in general leads to greater success overall in the market. So, um, and then finally on the investment level, Nick talked to some of the, the, the thoughts he put into sort of constructing his syndicate of investors, but I think he's done a wonderful job there as well. So it's it's not just us. We're in there with our friends from Kaiser Ventures who bring a wonderful healthcare perspective as, as well as you know some of the leading sort of, for lack of a better description, traditional venture and growth equity investors in the healthcare space. There's a lot of people on the team's call, but I feel like everybody is bringing something complimentary to the table and we all typically know each other and, and I think get along really well. So that's that's been great too. I think board construction, which starts oftentimes in these types of companies with investor syndicate construction, um, is is something that is is really important as well. So yeah, there's there there couple just a couple little things there uh, uh great examples of things for 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 people to to grab onto if they're thinking about starting starting their own thing thanks for that Jeff um Nick what's next for pro tennis what's your uh, what's your three-year plan well we've talked a lot about uh privacy and security for health records and you know we focused on that early in our uh, entrepreneurial journey because Going into a medical record, you're not supposed to either by hacking or or inappropriate access is, I guess you could say one of the more fundamental anomalies in a healthcare workflow. 
it's another thing to go into a medical record that you're allowed to and then do something that's questionable at that point. And, and I guess what I'm talking about is different types of fraud uh, that can be committed, ranging from thefts to uh, prescription fraud to billing fraud and other types of issues um, that we're excited about getting into. And I've been very fortunate to uh, work with a number of really talented uh, data engineers and data scientists. And, and what I think we're most excited about is the additional AI applications that we're looking at uh, beyond some of our early use cases. Uh, and so it, I, I feel like we have an opportunity to, to relive uh, that early entrepreneurial experience where we're you know going through that agile process of listening to our customers, hearing about the problems and trying to be really creative uh, about how we can solve them using a good combination of, of human subject matter expertise and, and artificial intelligence. So that's where we're going to be focusing on and, and um, couldn't have done it without support of uh, our investors like Jeff. Jeff, what do you see happening with Pro Tennis over the next few years? Where will you focus your energy and your partnership with them? Yeah, so I, I say with regard to Pro Tennis, we've kind of checked the box on one of our, our kind of key initial objectives, which is to help support what we believe to be the best compliance analytics company in healthcare today with their initial focus on patient privacy you know, and, and security monitoring. Um, and detection. And so, again, I, I give great credit to Nick and our compliance team at Providence for taking that from a fledgling deployment to one that's now system-wide. But a significant element of our ProTennis investment thesis is really where Nick was going in the answer to, to your last question to him, which is the company's ability to leverage its platform into adjacent areas of compliance analytics. Um, we've talked about several of those on the call today, and, and they're exploring many areas, and we've had some really fruitful board discussions around the company's great work in that regard. And so given our belief that AI can dramatically reduce cost while improving our operations across a number of the areas that Nick has mentioned, we're excited to help ensure that Pertennis's expanding solution gets the attention it deserves across Providence. And, and that's where our team often comes into play is if it's not the chief compliance officer that, that Nick's next solution will be addressing, then we'll help introduce him to the leader of the space that's topical for that solution. So we hope, we hope to encourage those operational leaders at Prov to engage with the company in, in these other areas, really enabling them to hear the pro tennis story and engage in expanded partnership opportunities wherever it makes sense. I love hearing all that, um, you know, and just from the patient and the, you know, the, the consumer sort of point of view, it's just, it's just nice to hear that there is this sort of this new focus and, and a lot of evolution and good things happening in, in compliance and uh, patient privacy. So um, can't thank you enough for being on the podcast, Jeff Stolte with Providence Ventures and Nick Culbertson from Pro Tennis. Thanks so much, Pat. Thank you, Pat. And thank you, Nick. I really appreciate you joining us today. That's the conclusion of this episode of Funding the Future of Healthcare. If you have any questions or suggestions for the show or want to let us know about your own experience with the COVID-19 pandemic, please do so. Check out the Prov Innovation channel on Medium and leave your thoughts or follow Providence Ventures on Twitter. Thank you for listening. We look forward to talking again.